0: Hello, Yannick. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? It's that is good. Oh, is
1: the mic working? Yeah, mic is working perfectly, ah. but, uh, but I can't see you yet. Ah, OK, so I must not have my video on. It's no not problem. like I haven't done this before. Holy shit. Ah.
0: Hey. <laughs> so good to see you, man. You know, I've, I've started this experiment to to de- de- do these conversations uh, just, it feels like a few weeks ago, but it's actually three or four months now. And um, so you're one of the few people that I have not met in person before. And okay. it's always a little bit, uh, I'm a little bit more, you know, a little bit nervous about that sometimes.
1: <laughs> I mean, I think this is probably the new uh, way of meeting people anyway with Zoom, right? Yeah, it is, it is. And even though it has
0: been like that with Skype for me, like since like 2006 or something even, you know, and you know, but it still, yet yeah, still feels new. And then, you know, everybody was talking about Zoom and I had to use Zoom, even though could have done the same with uh, other software, right? It's right. kind of interesting how this, this company kind of took advantage of what would happen, right?
1: I wish I'd bought stock. <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I saw I already see the Ajax stomp behind you there. That's that's cool.
1: <laughs> oh shit. This is not a product placement. No, 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 it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. like, like if you saw if I had a, like a fourteen millimeter lens on here, you'd just see fucking pedals everywhere. Okay. Like the kind of built in shelves. It's just every so this if I can, I can see quite a few there and oh, down there, yes, yes. it's just full of them. It's just pedals on top of pedals on top of pedals. And sometimes there's actually a fucking musical instrument, but mainly <laughs> it's pedals. Yes, yes. It's, um, I, I checked
0: into your, I guess it was Twitch or something at some point. I saw you, yeah. saw you play the piano, and that was wonderful. Yeah. Uh, like, you know, like I think, I don't know, like I want to talk about you obviously today, or we want to talk about you a little bit because I find like just having followed you sort of like superficially for a while, um, there was a point when you sort of changed your strategy. At least that's what it looked like to me from the outside, where things kind of like change, where you made a like a, let's say, maybe a 110 degree turn or something. <laughs> like that. That's correct, huh?
1: I mean, it's a temporary 110 degree turn on my way to being a three hundred and sixty-five, a uh, three hundred and sixty degree turn to go back to what it was in two thousand and one, two thousand and two. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's more like it. You know, because I'm I hate where things are now. I really do. Yeah, yeah. It's,
0: it's 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 super that we start with that in our conversation because that's really like it's it's so funny. For me, and I don't know why that is, you know, I'm, I'm a trained psychologist, but I'm a professional musician and like the, the current, the current situation, like the people, everything like kind of that you see online sort of has taken a turn that on one hand was sort of like interesting. And I don't want to say good because I don't think it was good, but, but interesting. Right. And um, so, so tell me, so where were you took 2001,
1: uh, 2001, I was, I was one year into living in New York. I lived in New York city for a decade from, I moved there in 2000 and kind of uh, gave up. I, I always signify the end of the era by giving the keys up to the apartment. You know, mm-hmm. I did leave, I did live by coastally for a little while and please uh forget i'm talking but i'm not looking at the camera because i have a photograph i'm going to share with you if i can find it while i talk which kind of talks a little bit to what we were just saying um and it was 2000 well it's 2001 2000 in 2000 there was some hope uh in 2000 there was no um there was no this you know Mm -hmm. There was there was no this there was no kind there was nothing in the way it was still very analog. it was still very um it was still very like proof of work based like you did the work, you got the gig that was it. There was no shortcut there was no way around it. there was no unlimited source of shortcuts and hacks to get to the goal because the goal looks kind of bougie and cool and oh i'd like to be up there but i don't want to do any of this stuff walking up the ladder to get there which is kind of how i feel it is a a little bit now and it's you know i can easily fall into the category of get off my lawn you know grumpy old man kind of thing you know as, as old as i am or as young as i am depends how you want to look at it i'm 42 years old as of the filming of this interview um so i can easily fall into that category i would imagine I don't feel like I do, but I would imagine anyone watching this who's, you know, born after nineteen ninety 1990 or nineteen ninety-five is like, ah, he's just old and grumpy, guy doesn't have any gigs. I I can I can see that. Mm-hmm. But I also am fully aware of what happened back then. And even I was on the very tail end of that. Yes. Um, so uh, maybe you, as a trained psychologist, will be able to analyze this way better than I can explain it um, in the sense of there's – at some t- at some point, there are kind of um, nostalgic tinges of regret in terms of the era that I came up in. I wasn't fully in the 90s of the analog thing to build a huge career and then just write it out like a – a Joshua Redman or a Brad Meldau or a Kenny Garrett, one of those kind of players. And then I certainly wasn't a 100% digital Instagram superstar on the other end where I just got millions of followers and was a flashy musician and kind of played out the career that way. Mm-hmm. I, along with, I'm just not, of course, not me, I'm not the only person in the world who's 42 years old, but me, along with a bunch of other people, very good friends of mine, kind of bridged that gap. Some way more successfully than me or than others. And some people remember the analog and have been forced through the digital wormhole, so to speak, if they want any chance of survival in today's kind of climate, musical climate. So there are some tinges of the uh, perhaps the idealism with which I started out my journey as a teenager, thinking, oh, here are the parameters, they're quite defined, I like all of these musicians, they did this and have historically done that since the 30s, 40s, 50s, made records, toured the world, Blah, blah, blah. I want to do that. So there was a really defined goal in the beginning. And then that goal got very blurred as time went on. And of course, we talk about 2000, 2001. 2001, uh, New York City's music scene got really destroyed, you know, with September 11th. And you personally, there were gigs I was in the middle of that just disappeared and never came back. You know, f- huge kind of financial downturns um which were kind of big a big stumbling block at the time for everyone not just me but I just speaking from my experience there were like some huge stumbling blocks like that and then simply clubs not reopening places i had hoped to forge my career and like really like pay my dues and cut my chops so i'm trying to now instead of being that old man screaming at the kids to get off my lawn i'm really trying now to make that 360 degree turn I'm th- I, you're right you know I don't know about 110 I hope I'm closer to like 200 degrees at the moment because I really want to get back to that true north
0: it's, that's quite possible you know I, I just was feeling from what I was seeing that something was going on and that you sort of not that you had a realization but that you all always knew kind of what was going on and also where you were and that I don't know like that's what it looked like to me
1: so tell me, I'm really intrigued to see what it is that was the trigger for that analysis for you. Like what kind of things to, that would you highlight? Because then I can speak to that and tell you. Yes, you know. yes.
0: You know, like, so So I've been like a superficial user of, of uh, YouTube, let's say, um, okay. for a long time. I only started kind of looking at it in more detail maybe four or five years ago. Okay. Um, but before that, some of my, my students uh, and my student and now one of my best friends, Eric, like he was um, watching your videos and he said, Marcus, you need to talk with Janek. He's, he's one of us. That's sort of like Eric's style of saying this guy, you kind of like knows, right? And, right. Um, and so then I, I saw some of your vlogs and I could I could just see in your face, that you just didn't want to do it anymore like as simple as that and i don't know like what the time frame was like when was that a year before you stopped or i don't know and and i know like that for me um i have realized very early on like even even in the early 2000s that i need to remove the middleman um if i want to if i want to be able to survive in the music business and I sort of like kind of like saw that kind of light into your face that, you know, just I want to go for it. I want to just have my own business, let's say. And I don't want to give, you know, work into the pockets of other people.
1: Okay. Well, that's, yeah. So 100%. And I would say that um, if there are a few kind of like moments that, that along the timeline that jump out to me. Um, I think until about... 2005 i was just i was young you know in 2005 i didn't turn 27 until the end of 2005 so um and i'd spent most of my time touring as a sideman you know i was playing some gigs of my own locally but no kind of touring around the world as a, as a band leader i had managed to cut my first record as a band leader before i was 25 um so we we, we got that done um and that was an awesome experience. And that kind of gave me a taste of cutting out the middleman because I did it all myself, no label. Um, and it gave me a taste of like, oh, like these are the greatest musicians on earth and this is what I want to spend my time doing, writing music, recording music, and playing music with people like this. And when I look back at the lineup of that first record, I go, holy shit. How did I get these people in a room for as as minuscule budget as I had? I mean, this was like, the most bullshit budget and they all agreed to do it and they learned this complicated music they played the shit out of it and it's still uh, i'm not really that proud of a lot of things i've recorded but that thing as a first effort as a band leader is actually something i'm quite proud of still which is very very strange for me to maintain an attachment to something that's so old and not like I spend time listening to it I just remember the feeling and what motivation it gave me to go forward so I'm kind of forever grateful for that so that's one big moment on the timeline where I'm starting already in 2004 we recorded that I'm starting to think like I'm sick of waiting around for other people you know I made this shit happen like this I made some phone calls I wrote some music boom we're in the studio we make the record done so i'm already starting to think. then i get a big tour in 2005 that i can't really turn down financially and i'm touring the whole year 2006 i make my first kind of proper international trip with a kind of all-starish band to south america with randy brecker and tim miller and gary husband and and elliot okay. mason and we do Or down in Venezuela, so then I'm really getting the taste. Like, oh, this is the shit, you know. And Venezuela was so starved for music that it was like we were the Beatles or something going down. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was Mm -hmm. pandemonium at the shows, completely sold out. I was like, I I know, I know
0: that experience,
1: you know, right? South (laughs) America,
0: yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah, it's crazy. So that was the first, and unfortunately, now the only time I've been to Venezuela specifically. but then I was like, okay, I really? So then right around that time, 5 06, 07, you're talking about Facebook becoming um, public and you don't have to have a .edu uh, email address to get in so I get on Facebook and MySpace is cranking. And with MySpace, there was real hope. We hadn't quite hit that like mass adoption of the ad revenue business model, owning... The users and mining the users' content with MySpace. MySpace seemed kind of open and artist-friendly, and it had a, an amazing feature. I don't know if you remember this, where people with music pages listed their influences. Mm-hmm. There's a little box on the left-hand side. Said influences, and that was a searchable feature. So what did I do? Search Pat Metheny. <laughs> ten thousand people. Add those ten thousand people. Search Jacob Astorius. Add. I spent. Weeks, months adding people and building a network to the point where I had like a solid 150,000 people on my MySpace page. And in 2008 and 2009, I toured the world as a band leader because of MySpace. And that gave me, it was a metric. Promoters would say, How many followers do you have on MySpace? I say 150,000. They say you got the gig. It was insane to me, completely insane. Like I'm a total nobody, but I'm selling out 500 seat concert hall in Singapore. You know, like what is going on? So that really gave me hope. And then everything changed. Like after 2010, it started to become the precursor of what social media is today. Where we we are the product. It's not a product we use. Yeah. We're totally the product. So. I'm not telling anyone anything new there but that was definitely a feeling and so fast forward some many years to the vlog I was too late like Casey Neistat did that in 2014 2015 hugely successfully I didn't even I wasn't even aware of that it wasn't even on my radar until 20 like late 2016 I was kind of too late to the game and I I I I like what you were saying about seeing it in my eyes that I just didn't want to do it anymore Mm -hmm. It was tough like it what it was in the beginning was i was single and it was an amazing way to learn how to produce video fast you know to be i like pressure you know i like having a schedule i like i've got to do this today is another day and it's another video and i've got to do it and now my final cut pro skills are in pristine condition and i can edit things and i can write a soundtrack and i can do all these things but I think I kicked the daily thing after 311 days consecutive, yeah. and I probably it started to fall off at maybe 210, 220, and plus I met Chelsea in the beginning of 2017 and trying to have a relationship, and every day you're like, "Hey babe, I'd love to go to dinner," but I've got a four and a half hour edit right now. Mm-hmm we we were never going to stay together if that continued as fun as it was and as cute as we made some videos together and it was a real thing and you know you know i it, it just yeah i'm not 22 years old and a girl from nebraska trying to move to hollywood and be famous mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> like that's to me what it feels like when i see some of these vloggers now you know at least someone like casey neistat had like an opinion he had uh it, it, he was making some political statements sometimes emotional statements like he was a real filmmaker he had come from selling a tv show to hbo he had come from like the legacy movie making Business, for instance, and parlayed it into YouTube and become hugely successful, but it was honest, you know. And at some point, the honesty factor disappeared for me, and I was like, I am just doing this because I feel I have to. Yeah. And I think now is the same thing. Like, you, I don't know how actively you watch my channel, but you might notice that the upload rate is incredibly slow now. It's one or two videos a month, and sometimes it's because I've been paid to make them. Or because I've received free equipment or something, and part of my deal is that I create some content for the people. But it's not out of like pure joy to get in front of a camera and go la, 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 for an hour, you know, and then spend a day editing it.
0: Yeah, you know, like uh, the question really is what you know what should Yannick really be doing? I that's the question for me. Like, you know, should he should he be making videos? No. Probably not. No and just, just, just you as a musician you, you have, as you say, even like in your, in your mid-20s you have already gotten to a point where your career was at a it was a start, but it also was already a sort of climax already
1: 100 percent way, way. it was the analog climax to the, the very end of the analog world without any of the, the, the benefits there was no contract with warner brothers not that i would have wanted to take a record contract i think those are archaic but there was no, there were none of the 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 like the tour support from somebody There was no like booking agent or lawyer or manager or any of those you know pretty major factors that you need for to be just a touring jazz musician you know like one of my best friends in the world is joshua meyer the drummer swiss drummer and um You know, we get into the the weeds on this one a lot. We talk about this a lot. And he, I think, he either came in 90 or 91, 92, early 90s to New York. And he's like, yeah, you know, I was, I realized I was 40 years too fucking late. You know, I was like, holy shit, in 91, you were 40 years too late? And I came nine years later? Like, what the hell? What hope did I have? You know, now...
0: I you, was. You had a little bit of a Swiss accent there
1: for a moment. Yeah, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, I've been hanging with Jojo for twenty something years, so I, you know, I we've been on the road a lot, you know. So, it, mm-hmm. like, knowing people like him and the few people I, did, I don't want to sound ungrateful or or that that was a bad time. Like that's the last thing I want to um, project uh i basically i want to kind of highlight uh, even to myself like where the transitions were and how i can change it to be happier now but in talking about that time i've definitely got to give props to people that i met and played with and was definitely a part of some kind of scene and remain still to, to this day in terms of people like mike stern and randy brecker and you know, the people, the legends that I grew up listening to that I actually moved to New York and got to play with. This was like number one, great, number one, great success. You know, we you know, it was definitely like that was my little moment in the analog world of jazz and fusion or whatever you want to call it. Um, and having mentors like Hiram Bullock and Kenwood Denard and like all these people associated, you know, in the bass world with Jacko and Getting to see that firsthand, getting to be a part of it firsthand, was priceless. Regardless of what the actual payoff personally for my own career was, forget about that. That's all. I think that's all a little bit superficial, anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And it was the the like the nostalgic regret I talked about is still just based on having a dream as a teenager to do something, but not realizing it wasn't going to be available by the time I got to the point of being able to execute it. You know. Mm-hmm. I I definitely want to project a a lot of positivity because those times were amazing in New York. You know, as up and down as it was and perhaps as it didn't fit my exact projection of what I wanted it to be, still some amazing times.
0: You know, I think that a a little bit of uh, negativity that we can see in the world and like speaking about that is actually positivity. I think it's positivity (laughs) to to speak out and, and explain how things are because like, as you know, like, people who are not in our situation or a similar situation kind of like they, they don't know what's going on yeah and, and
1: like the and the, and the false um, the false bravado with which most people lead their online social media driven lives now mm-hmm. plays into that so much they don't talk about that stuff you know or they don't even admit, they forget about talking about it, they don't admit it to themselves to sort of mitigate the long-term effects of, 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 of being a part of that, that world. And, and what it is now, you know, it's like, like you said, what should Yannick Guzdala do? As soon as you said that, I, I immediately said to myself in, the head, in my head, like, don't be a content creator. That's what I shouldn't be doing. Like, I don't want to create content in, within the framework that most people do right now the youtube the instagram the tiktok i don't even have tiktok let's face it um, i'm that old but it's not f- it's not fun you know like i'm so fortunate with the uh, with my books that i get to make a living through music you know through writing and talking about and teaching something that i know quite a bit about through experience and i genuinely enjoy formulating ideas for yes you know i have a new book coming out like because I, I was about to say i've been sitting here looking at my base for three days and haven't touched it because i have a new book coming out this coming saturday we're here in uh in um in may of 2021 here and it's so much work i mean it's mm-hmm. just a Fifteen-hour days for weeks on end, trying to get this thing together. It's a massive undertaking, but it is fortunate in the sense that I get to then back off doing that because once the book is out, it kind of takes care of itself, and I can get back to music. And that's that's pretty much the goal to balance that. But I'd like to not be writing two or three books a year. Mm-hmm. I'd like to do one every eighteen months, perhaps. You know, like
0: you see. I think it's it's a, okay in a way that you know, as creative people. Uh, we are content creators, but it's, it's just, it's just, first of all, it's the term that is horrible. (laughs) And secondly, um, and I'm guilty of that myself because I'm, I'm like a really intuitive, um, great instant composer. You know, I can just sit down and write, 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 record, record, record. And so I could every day, I could record an, Album of the most beautiful ambient music that there's ever been. I could do that, and and at times I did that, right. And that's why I have archives of right. of stuff that I can I can still I could put out a new album every week, and so, you know and sometimes I did, but it starts feeling horrible. It's really like this uh, the the music or the uh, it gets kind of like degraded uh, to be simply content and. You know, like the, the power that, and I'm I'm talking about you as a musician. You know, the power that you have as a musician to move somebody, and 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 not only talking about live performance, but it's also albums, recordings, right? Is it is something where we should um, kind of like believe in that idea that we can move somebody's lives in such a way that there will be some sort of feedback loop that we will get something in return. And I'm not talking necessarily talking about money, um, but I'm talking about like long- long-term um, uh, relationship, friendship, oh. that kind of thing. And um, and still for me, just um, you know, I had uh, one great gig, or I still have it, with uh, Stickman with Pat Maslota and Tony Levin, which is yeah. a trio. And um, so we've been touring the world since 2011, and that was like. Um, so that was how many years? Nine years? Yeah, nine years of um, almost constant touring, which was great. And now that, come, that has come to an end. And that's why I'm here talking to you, because la- now I, I'm kind of like, de- uh, I've been
1: degraded or degraded
0: myself to be a content generator here. And,
1: uh, well, you know, I, I appreciate more the side of like, having meaningful conversations with people. Like if this was the way I or people created content and actually got to a point or yeah. recollected important moments in development and, you know, share ph- philosophies and, you know, education and ideas, then I I think this is hugely valuable. But I, I you know… I have had a podcast like in terms of me being on the internet creating content it was my audio podcast that got me started in 2006 I think it was you know and when I look at like the crazy crazy cool people I've had on my podcast as guests it's my favorite thing to do to talk to people and the least engaged thing that I that, that, that happens on my channels on any of my channels whether it's video audio whatever i had seth godin on my podcast it got no views like yeah. you like a thousand are you kidding me this guy's one of the great minds of modern fucking marketing and crossover between music and book world, like so much information that every single person who writes me a dumb email saying, yeah, so how do you build a website? How do you get online? They should read one of his books or just listen to that interview and the whole plan is laid out for them. You know, that kind of content, I really appreciate making. I enjoy listening back to it and rehearing what those people said to me, even though I was there, you know. And it's what gets the least engagement. Now, if I write uh, some sort of a controversial um, title to a video and then quasi talk shit about someone, not that I do, but if it gets perceived as that, then <laughs> to the moon, you know, off it goes with the most traction of any video I could possibly make. You know, I – so, what so is, yeah. What is
0: your what is your uh, solution or what's the path? The solution.
1: Yeah, let's get the solution. Let's stop complaining about it. Let's get to the solutions. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm doing the complaining. Sorry. Um, my solution is to manage, and it's very much a work in progress and something I'm changing right now. We're talking like really right now. Um, is to manage my time better uh, in terms of the things I do that keep me alive the books, for instance, yannickspacestudio.com, like things, you know, revenue, sources of revenue to manage those better. Um, maintaining the honesty with them as well. I don't want to just be like, oh, how can I squeeze more money out of these things? Like I have to maintain the integrity of it, but also make it more efficient so it's not taking up massive amounts of my time. And then not be tricked like not be sucked into the machine of like oh shit I have to make a YouTube video this month like I have to post to Instagram I have to do this like that feeling that pressure so um I want to I don't know if it's going to be possible I want to hand off every single social media platform I have to someone else to manage for instance if I'm in my studio and I make a little video of me practicing or something I'll send it to them they can chop it up put titles on it and post it as content for people to see awesome so there's still, ma- there's a maintenance of uh, kind of audience artists, you know, conversation going on there. But it's not like, you know, shitty DMs or comments or like, oh, you suck or like, you know, like that kind of shit, which is like every day, hundreds of comments and messages and just the worst shit you never, ever want to read in your life. Like, I don't, I don't want that in my orbit, you know? And then it's to like I look at someone like Bill Laswell. I don't know if you're a fan of Bill Laswell. Yes, yeah. So, like, it's probably not even his complete discography, but because Spotify is so shit with that. But if you just go to Bill Laswell's Spotify, and it's like, oh shit, this is like the fucking Beethoven of, of the modern day. The amount of content he puts out, and he's not doing it for the sake of it. He's doing that because that's what he hears. And he can you know and he's older than me and he's still doing it you know like putting out two three albums a year and singles so when it comes to making music but, ah interesting perhaps i will feel differently if i get to do it intensely for the next decade or so but right now i feel like i have so much freaking music to put out that i want to record improvisation and composition or whatever that i i don't think right now i feel like i'm doing it just for the sake of it like making music and recording and releasing it is not content creation for me that's actually the completing the 360 degree circle and getting back to what i always wanted to do and i feel like i'm so shortchanging myself on the process because i spent all that time tens of thousands of hours with the instrument and thinking about music and listening to music and studying music and being around great musicians and searching the, to the ends of the earth, quite literally to find things. And what am I doing? You know, I'm like talking about pedals, like what the fuck, you know?
0: <laughs> but you know, what?
1: I have maybe
0: like a, I don't know if this, there's any truth to it, but this more positive perspective that maybe because you were so talented and you were so successful, like uh in the early years of your career and i mean a career like when you started uh picking up an instrument and uh i I read a little bit on wikipedia and i don't know if that's true what it says there but it seems like it was only like 10 12 years and you 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 were in new york right and you were recording your album probably
1: yeah, I, I, I mean, from the beginning of music period, sure, like playing guitar and you know yeah. trumpet, piano, yeah. From playing, starting to play the bass, I came to the bass a little bit late, maybe sixteen. Yeah, yeah. so it's like about eight years from playing the bass, think, to making the first record. Sure, yeah,
0: there, you, there you go. So uh, no, just the thought that came into my head was that maybe you sort of like uh, kind of like. Uh, you know, sometimes there, there are these phases in our lives where we take an internship or an apprenticeship and something like that. And, and for some of us, and you're maybe one of, of us, you know, like it's important to actually have substance and it's important to do the things well that we do. So that's why we can also get easy, easily distracted if we realize there's a particular skill that we need in order to kind of like bridge the next six months or whatever, and 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 then they, these things they accumulate and you kind of like you get you get really you become the greatest like you can mix and master your own music you you are the best bass player in the world you're an amazing composer you know how to use Final Cut Pro like you know all these things very very well but, but Not you. and that <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and and in the in the end. Yeah, I can see and I can feel that you, you have this passion and um, love for music that uh, maybe has created a little bit of suffering, or let's say that you're, the path that you kind of like, you know what I'm trying yeah, to say.
1: absolutely. And I think you're right. And I think that's probably why I'm now, like I said just now, about what I'm doing to change that is the management of time. You know, Mm -hmm. is not being the video editor, the recording engineer, the mix engineer, the this, that not having 15 jobs, just having one, you know, that's Mm -hmm. why I'm trying to get all the way back around to the beginning, just to have one job. Um, Who was I was having this conversation with a friend of mine the other day, and... I was in the middle because, like, uh, now all my books come with play-alongs, and uh, I make a video of each musical example in the book so people can have a visual reference at a slow tempo as a as a learning tool, you know. So there are over three hundred play-alongs with this new book, right? So my buddy texts me, he's like, "What are you doing? You want to go play tennis?" I'm like of course i want to go play tennis i play tennis every day but today i'm off because i'm bouncing down 300 play alongs in logic and i send him a screenshot of my logic session and he sends me like the puke emoji and um and he's a musician you know he knows what's up and he's like dude can't you just like hire someone to do that for you like and i was like yeah you know i really could but i and i keep getting close but i can never find anyone who's slightly more psychotic than I am you know? <laughs> and I, you know some I used to think it was like a control freak thing um, like oh I've got to be in control of every tiny detail I can't let anything go but I, I realize it's not that it's the I, I think I've had too many situations where I have hired someone and then they haven't done it the way it needed to be done and then I've had to go and do it in the end anyway so it's cost me money and twice the amount of time so I think I have some reactions to that from the past but for sure, it needs. I need to streamline that in terms of hiring other people to do social media, to do editing. You know, the video editor is. I, I could probably make some things I'm actually really proud of if I just focus my energy on the first ten percent of the process and leave the rest to someone else to do. You know, I'm really, I'm really lucky. I think that I'm so bad as a mix engineer. Like, I have no fucking clue. Okay. Zero yeah. clue. I can make a kick drum sound like a flute. Uh, it's just horrible. Like you listen to the mix and you just ah. So I'm really lucky that I don't ever have to mix any of my music, and I'm very lucky to have good engineers around me. So, it, as as one thing down now. <laughs> you see this this
0: um, feeling that um, being a control freak. I think it's very very interesting. I think that is also kind of. Uh, intrinsically tied tied to uh, being an artistic persona or like an artist, somebody interested in art because um, and and when i say art i also mean the craft aspect of that right yeah. so and, and then when it comes to just asking somebody to bounce uh just like you know stuff out of logic for example there's like a certain process. There's a certain quality, um, uh, how do you call it? Uh, quality um, management kind of like, yeah, exactly. And, and so what, what happens is that if you, you need somebody who actually has interest in you as an artist and, yeah, then, and then it can work and that is, the, that is the difficulty. So you have to find somebody who is really interested in supporting your aims and who probably has also similar names.
1: It's, it's like the great, you know, duos of, 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 of music. You know, Leonard McCartney or Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor or, you know, Pat Metheny and Lyle Mays. You know, like when you think about that, they really found their kind of co-pilot, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I have that in my wife a lot. You know like she works on the books with me like she does all of the design all of the copy work she does all of the ass kicking when i'm getting behind and like motivation and yeah these books would not be what they are without her for sure you mm-hmm. know mm-hmm. and i did books before i met her and then after i met her the thing like took off to the stratosphere so there's definitely that um and then i also see people like Although I don't know what Brian Eno's process is. like, I don't know how many people he's surrounded with in his studio. The, 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 the few interviews there are of him kind of working, I don't see that many other people. So I also think there are like a bunch of kind of, a loner is a little harsh, but people who relish being sort of hermit types, I think I definitely fall in that category. Just like, <laughs> shut up, leave me alone, go away. I'll come out when I'm ready, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, it's
0: it's so interesting because, like, if you were, you know, like, following your vlog for sixty days, eighty days, a hundred days, and you were kind of like a very different, very different person there, right? Like, okay. not not quite the hermit, <laughs> really um, not.
1: Yeah, I guess it depends what period of the vlog, right? Because I was touring a lot. I mean, there was a lot of shit going on that year. Like, I was on the road. I did the last-minute world tour. Yeah, I play tennis every day. Like, there was probably way too much tennis in the vlog.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I, I st- yeah. Oh, so, so the you know this, this this time, I don't think I was putting on an act. That's what I. That's what I mean.
1: Yeah, I don't think I was putting on an act. So yeah, maybe I'm less of a hermit than I think I am. But I just mean, like, I think in the creative moment, I'm very capable of shutting out the rest of the universe for long periods of time. If I have to, it's not possible. I have a wife, dog, cat responsibilities, uh, you know, other shit going on. I can't just go off the grid for three weeks and not come out you know so now that's a kind of a micro version of that like i can easily be down here in my studio for like seven hours with the red button on recording and not think about anything but Mm -hmm. that used to be really weeks where i would be like that you know so maybe things are changing
0: so when 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 the new book is out are you uh what are you gonna do
1: uh musically hey (laughs) take a week off (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Literally, we're going on. We're going on vacation next week for the first time in a very long time. First mm-hmm. time since our wedding, actually. It'll be the first time in two years. So, uh, but musically, you know, I had planned to put out one single a month this year, starting in February. I had the idea. I got February and March, so I'm already two months behind on that. But a bunch of things recorded and things. I'm really like. You know, I, I here's the thing. I always tell like students, and we t- we talk about it, like master classes and clinics and and stuff like that. Is when people are asking about the practice routine and how do you manage your time. It's crazy because everyone sees all the all this stuff I do, and they're like, "God, how do you manage? It's it's so insane your schedule and blah." I'm like, I'm kind of the worst. It might look like that from the outside that I do all this shit, but I I feel like I'm kind of the worst. Um, so w- when we talk about that. I, I say, I think the only reason I'm effective is because I use the small moments very well. Like the headphones are always fucking on, always on. My wife mocks me mercilessly about it because I walk around the house. She said, who walks around the house, their own house with noise canceling headphones on and their iPad in their hand? Like who does that shit? So she mocks me a lot. Um But it's all in fun and it really like you know last night yesterday i had to do four loads of laundry and bed sheets and fold everything and that's like two hours three hours of work headphones on i listened to like three apex twin albums back to back that i hadn't heard in 10 years and went down this total new part not new but just a change of scenery and so i'm really using the small moments well i think i think i've learned to get the most out of the time where i don't have my instrument i don't have my computer i don't have all these luxury aids musical tools around me and just listening is super powerful Um, i also don't think people give the day uh, as much credit for the amount of hours there are in it you know, there are twenty-four hours. You only really have to sleep for seven or eight of them. What are you truly doing with that sixteen or seventeen hours? You sit in there playing Xbox. You know, like bullshit. You know,
0: <laughs> you know, and I mean, people don't understand what what a real professional musician is. Like, it's not somebody with a day job who just plays gigs on the weekend, right? So yeah. we have we actually have to work. That's also part of it. Like. It's, no. it's not just fun no, we have to work we have to we have to create music <laughs> we have to create content of some sort and we, have and we do have
1: to maintain basic fundamentals of our yeah. instrumental uh, not prowess instrumental ability you know like yes. yeah and i think i i try not to get that disconnect though because i, I find myself uh, it can feel like very it, it can look from the outside even though we don't mean it to be this it can look from the outside to be very elitist when we say oh wow well, professional musicians who don't have a day job we have to do oh, oh, oh. you know it can look a little because let's face it most people engaging in what we do are not professional musicians yeah or if you are successful most of them are not professional musicians if you just play for musicians good luck you know but it most of the time people engaging in the content in the books are not professional musicians so i have to always be conscious of bridging that gap and being like well set your goals first like ask yourself don't look at me and say oh i have to do that because he or she does that like set your goals first and then build the framework around that to you know maybe you are an accountant and but you love to play music and you have two hours a day to do it great still not a professional musician you know You're still never going to do the six to eight hours I still do every day, you know, regardless of where, you know, I practiced all through the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Six hours a day. It drove my wife nuts. And she's a professional musician, you know?
0: (laughs) Do you have any idea what the source of your energy is and where your love for music comes from? Yeah. Yeah. Would you like to share?
1: (laughs) I I, I can share some of it. Um, I would say uh, it was like a safety mechanism and a way out, Mm -hmm. you know, to speak in broad strokes without getting too far into the details and the weeds. And, um, you know, it's not like I come from a family of 12 where three of my siblings died and we lived in abstract poverty in Calcutta for, you know, like I'm not talking like some sob story like, 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 like real people are going through right now. You know, I'm not trying to paint myself as some, uh, something like that at all. But there were definitely things um, to want to wanna have a way out and to, uh, and to, you know, sort of save some sanity along the way so i think the the unwavering willpower which is what it boils down to at the end of the day like people that that's always a common question is like so what is it that drives you like how do you how the fuck do you get out of bed and practice that much every day again and again and again and you're 42 and you're still doing it like what the fuck like get a life man like you know and the unwavering willpower comes from from that i think and 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 to also i you know i just don't want to have died and have sucked Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. like what a what a waste of time you know like i i if i'm gonna do something i'm gonna go and do it you know which means i've done very few things compared to things I might like to do. I've done very few things, but I've always tried to execute them to like the highest or to be to be genuinely um, curious about what it is I'm doing without, without reservation. Curious no matter what the answer is when you ask the question, because a lot of the times the, the answer to the question you ask when you're curious about something is something you're not going to like and it is not going to be the answer you expect and it is going to make whatever it is you're trying to do 10 times tougher than you thought it was 5 minutes ago before you knew the answer you know uh, but when you can hear the answer and go oh fuck that's really difficult and then go that's what i want you, that, that's just a, bit, a personal thing to be honest with yourself you know and i know like and if i get the answer and i don't like what i hear i'm like eh, I, uh, that's not for me <laughs> done next you know so yeah and there have been a few things I tried. I was like, "Wow, I really think I want to do this." And then, oh shit, I couldn't have been more wrong. But music has apparently been been the one, you know that, that, I, that I stuck with through everything, you know, had the option to be a professional athlete early on, um, you know, very young, I was sailing around the world, doing a whole bunch of different stuff, like massive expeditions. That could have been another big career path so yeah there have definitely been some like big changes but music was the one that was like oh this is like something i can sink my teeth i love the work i fucking love the work you know and every single person who i respect and who i love as a musician or a human being or whatever it is they do they all have that in common they cannot wait to get back to the work you know they're not all psychos like me they do take vacation sometime and, and are realistic and have families and stuff but for the most part they're just in love with the work and it doesn't matter you know i'm, I'm i've become more more recently like very very interested in blockchain technology and you know not the like don't oh, bitcoin man yeah not the like the bro kind of You know i'm i'm in crypto bro like that kind of bullshit but actually the underlying technology of of what is fucking happening with the world right now Mm -hmm. and the characters that you see in that are pretty amazing in terms of the of the mountain they face the workload they face and the 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 problems they have to solve and they just yep every day there's Mm -hmm. this guy charles hoskinson who's the one of the founders of ethereum and now the founder of cardano and is just like what a happy-go-lucky eccentric billionaire dude who doesn't give a shit about money and just like is trying to solve Africa's problems, you know, single-handedly with a blockchain technology. It's fucking insane. So yeah, all those kind of people I respect, I see that little thing in them, this unwavering willpower to never give up and to be totally honest about the process. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I, I can find myself in what you're saying and, uh, you know, if it's interesting for you, like I was nine years and my father had an accident, a car, he was um, almost killed, you know, by another driver. And so basically my father was in hospital, which like for three years or so to get fixed. And then he was, he was ill for another 17 years. And so basically my mother had to go to uh, work and I had a younger brother, like your, your age, so six, uh, six years younger. And so basically, there wasn't any time left for me. Right. So when I when I when I turned around that time, so between nine and ten, uh, like my uncle started playing records to me, like in the early eighties, and I I heard music, and sort of that became something that um, you know I I got seriously interested in. So like even you know when other uh, kids. Uh, in, you know, from school, like wanted to go out and play, play pool or something. I said, no, I want to, I'd rather, um, you know, sit at my keyboard and work out nice chord sequences and stuff yeah. like that, you know? And, uh, and that was, that that's like where I'm coming from. And, but now like, so I, I kind of believe into these seven year cycles. So like the idea also of the octave in, in life and stuff like that. And, you know, 42 is, is quite a year. Uh-huh. <laughs> For me, it was it was like a total total breakdown. That was kind of okay. like the the burnout and uh, divorce and stuff like that. And
1: uh, shit, forty two. No, mine was almost six years. Mine was twenty fifteen. <laughs> <Okay. laughs> Missed the seven year cycle slightly. So maybe I'm due another another burnout next year. <laughs>
0: But it's, yeah, it's great. And like, you know, as you say, you know, this, I'm still, I'm sometimes wondering if there's a better, better word for work, right? Like to, 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 to really say it again. Process. Process. Yes. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Because like, how, how do you explain to people who do not have that sense, right? What? work means to you uh, as opposed to what like going to work means for them and and I find that I find that quite in a way I have to say um, with my the audience people that are my friends and that buy my music or that support me in other ways um, there has been like a a big part of uh, the relationship with them has was some sort of education that I had to give them, mm-hmm. funnily enough, right? And I sometimes feel bad about saying that even, but it's kind of true. Cause
1: yeah, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not arrogant, even though it feels like that sometimes, like, yeah. oh my God, I have to tell you this? No, it, but, but you, I guess we come up against that in that most people we meet mm-hmm. are going to be doing something to, to, to make a living that they do not love, for sure you know and they might enjoy it sometimes but it doesn't like define their lives you know they 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 don't like roll over to the alarm clock and go oh 6 a.m awesome let me get on my two-hour commute uh you know let me go and deal with kevin and susan at the office that i fucking hate you know like no no um (laughs) but that that's me in the morning i'm like oh shit it's like it's 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 eight thirty. Damn, I'm an hour late. Like I, I I missed an hour of practice today. Like that's mm-hmm. that's how I feel. But it, yeah,
0: it is. So let, if it's okay for you, let's let's take a big jump to some something completely different. Sure. Okay. So say you you started playing bass in, when you were sixteen. So uh, that's 20, 28 years, almost twenty or twenty. Twenty six years? Yeah. And, um and so after twenty-six years um, having practiced and having like what some people call plateaus, reach plateaus in your playing, right? Uh-huh. What is what is your next aim? What is your current challenge?
1: Nobody remembers the bass playing. When you're gone, you know, unless you recorded some, unless you wrote and recorded Teen Town or fucking Havana or something, nobody remembers the bass playing. So I have to now reconcile the fact that all the work I did trying to be the greatest jazz electric bass player in the world, which was a dumb goal to start with, I have to reconcile the fact that that was from a performance standpoint in the immediacy perhaps not the most uh, sensible goal I ever had, but also to draw upon the fact that it has taught me a lot of other things besides just having big chops on the bass. Um, And it's informed my time, my sound, my melodic sensibility, my palette of, um, you know, my my musical landscape. And uh, now I have to try and extract the most from that I possibly can through creating a catalog that will hopefully live you know way 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 into the future you know farther than i will ever live you know um it's not and it's not and to not do it from the point of like oh i must be i must sit here on this shelf with this person in this order in this ranking like not to do not to let the ego in there you know to do it from a place of like oh no this is just truly what's going on in my brain in this very moment and i want to document that and put it out there and if somebody listens to it awesome but nobody will listen to it if i don't record it Mm -hmm. so i have to get off my ass and do that and be more efficient with that process And find a way to enjoy it more. Not that I don't enjoy recording. I fucking love it. I love it maybe more than any other part of music. You know, I don't have to travel. Eh, For the most part, sometimes you have to travel to record. I don't have to get on a plane normally. I don't have to deal with a bunch of people. You know, I I can just get on and do it. Um, So I think there's that. Also, I think there are a lot of collaborations that i'm just leaving on the table stupidly like mm-hmm. just pick up the phone and ask the person you know it doesn't matter that it's herbie hancock what does it matter he's just another human being he did this thing with this other person he's a musician he wants to make music you know f- just fucking do it you know like make mm-hmm. make shit happen stop being afraid stop telling yourself or myself stop telling myself that oh you're not ready for that in some way or because i know i am it's just there's there's a i you know we were talking earlier about like where does it come from the music and the process and the doing the work and all that stuff i was homeschooled so i believe i have like some massive Social underlying social disadvantages when it comes to communication.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, in terms of but there's, there's, there's always like this little stop gap here. There's like a little thing to bridge and it's just tiny, like literally picking up the phone and making a call it is a massive task to me. Go walk on stage in front of 50,000 people and play music. I've only just learned a week before it's the easiest thing in the world. Pick up the phone and call someone to ask them hey do you want to make music together one of the toughest things i ever have to do so i have some like kind of underlying fundamental social communication issues i think that i really need to get over and kind of push through to make some of these things happen which i know are going to be super fun they were going to pay off big time even if they suck and they never get released you know just the experience of doing it will be amazing so I think those are some things i need to do now after all these fucking years of playing scales you know
0: <laughs> i think thank you for being so open about that and and again i think i think uh, a lot of people can uh, will be able to find themselves in what you just said
1: probably yeah yes yeah.
0: yes yeah
1: and what's the you know what's the what's the worst that can happen I think at this point in our lives, we all know way worse shit has happened. <laughs> you
0: know, I I have to tell you, let's just just um, putting out more music is is important. Like this is really what what I was thinking when I saw you. Like I, you know, this guy should actually be put putting out more music. I want to I want to hear you. I want to I like you know everything seems to come from that place. So why don't you do it? You know, and it was kind of obvious. And I'm happy to hear that you're on the path to 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 doing that because also via the music, these maybe some phone calls you don't you won't even have to make yourself. This is how it went for me, because then suddenly people called me. But it was because I was putting out this music that where people went, Wow, what is that, that?
1: That's the thing as well. It's like why try and conform to something that you think you should be doing? in order to get into a scene that maybe you're not a part of, maybe you'll never be a part of, um, and, and as a result, you're just taking so many options off the table by not being heard by someone you have no clue who they are. I know there's somebody out there right now, that this time next year, I'm gonna know them and be making music with them that I had no clue that was coming, you know? <laughs> Like I've had that even in, like, most recently with uh with now, my, I gotta say, my good friend Benny Greb is, is a great German drummer, lives up in Hamburg, and like just kind of out of nowhere, we're, we even have so many mutual friends in the scene. Like, we're both super close with JoJo, for instance, and he has two English guys in his band for a while and all these connections. And he just, he just reached out and said hi on like social media one time. And six weeks later, we were in Thailand playing a concert with his band in Singapore. Like, and it was amazing, you know? I knew of him like, oh yeah, Benny Greb, he's that drummer. Now he's the guy who tunes the floor tom better than anyone I've ever heard in the history of floor toms. Like that's a fucking unbelievable thing, experience I had with him. And you have to be there on the stage 10 feet from the drums on the hi-hat side, like these little details that I know now through this one dumb little message, you Mm -hmm. know? And there was a time where that wasn't in existence and now we're great friends and we talk all the time, we play shows and so, yeah, I definitely foresee things like that. I also foresee things like completely unrelated to anything I've ever done. I want that. Like I crave that. Like I saw that Brian and Roger Eno were going to do this concert together for the first time in Athens. And first of all, I think it's in September. First of all, I wish I could go. But second of all, I was like, whoa, these motherfuckers are brothers. They've never played together before. Mm-hmm. And they don't do a thing that's like that crazy far apart either. They both kind of make music in almost the same sort of lane-ish. It's like holy shit and that took them they're in their 60s or 70s now or something jesus 50s. 70s right how crazy is that i'm a that makes me look like a kid compared to some of the things i could be doing and working on so imagine what it's going to be like when i get to my 70s you know like yeah so i'm i'm, I'm hopeful i'm like very uh, optimistic which is great and um
0: so on your Wikipedia page I saw that you were insp- or you were inspired by Lawrence Cottle is that true like did did he, he you know Lawrence I, I never met him but I know oh. him of him for sure <laughs>
1: so, well, so there you go so you already know who the guy is um, so I wanted to be a drama mm-hmm playing drums you know classical guitar was the thing that's what helped me move to the bass so efficiently um, with the technique uh, I'd been doing that for a while like really seriously studying classical guitar but drums I'd taken up and I was like smashing away in the garage like every day and all I wanted drums, 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 drums and my friend was like hey you want to go to this jazz gig "Oh, yeah, okay he said you gotta hear this bass player I said what the fuck I, give a- I don't care about the bass player who's the drummer you know and it was a great drummer Ian Thomas Ian who's Thomas yeah ian okay of course there you go so (laughs) um so ian for people who don't know ian or comfy or yanto um he's like main studio guy in the uk like there are like like there are two or three guys in in sorry in london like there are two or three guys in la he's the main guy in london and he's very close he's welsh he's very close with lawrence so i go to a place called the gun tavern typical english sunday lunchtime jazz gig in a pub it's very, very English. At least it was then.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's Lawrence. It's his band with Ian Thomas. With Nigel Hitchcock, great saxophone player and Graham Harvey on keyboards. And Claire Martin, great English singer who sat in and sang I remember the Setlist. I remember everything about this gig. She sang Perdido with the band. And I sat there like, What the fuck? Like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life, looking at Lawrence, you know that was it first tune in they played nothing personal the don gronic tune and they played that tune i was like oh this is it you know cut all my drumsticks in half throw the shells in the trash like i want to be a bass player and that was a sunday on monday i had a little bit of money like a couple hundred bucks went out and got a shitty bass Went to the music store, got a shitty bass, and um, I'd asked for his number at that gig. Like, remember that analog where you had to go up and they wrote a number down and the number was to a telephone, which was a thing in a room in a fucking house? Like, that was, it was that analog. And I I called him on Tuesday. So Sunday I see the gig, Monday I get the bass and I called him on Tuesday. I said, man, I want to do this. And he's like, what? And he lived like four minutes from me. And he said well i got this gig tonight you know i i can take you out to another gig you check it out you know he came and picked me up took me to the gig and for two years he took me to every gig he played and he never gave me a lesson he was like my hardcore music mentor but never i would ask him things i say so was, was that a flat nine or a sharp nine on the f7 he said you work it out man work it out And he really pushed the ear and listening and doing the work. He really pushed the concept of do the work, you know. And I had a little, (laughs) check this out. It wasn't a micro cassette even. This is like fancy compared to the one I had. I had like a bigger one dictaphone with the full size cassette in it, and Mm -hmm. I would just set it up next to the stage, record every everything I heard of him. I recorded on cassettes, you know. And because of the drinking laws in the UK, uh, pubs would close. Most of the gigs were in pubs or music venues. They close at eleven. So I could be home by 11.30. And from like 11.30 until 3 in the morning, I'd just be there with the tape machine, listening to everything and transcribing and writing it all down and learning it. So every day was like a massive real-time lesson from him for like two years or a year and a half, two years, something like that. Took me to the studio. I went to his house hangout. We're both like juggling fans, like freak juggling fanatics. So we would like juggle fire and machetes and clubs and stuff in his backyard and all kinds of shit, just a major hang and he would hit me to albums you know i would you know, i'd ask questions like hey where did that come from is oh that's wayne shorter that's speak no evil this is from art pepper this is you know this james jameson you know he'd tell me about stuff
0: yeah, I'm, learned, I'm grateful grateful you mentioned that because that that really is something absolutely special to be given or passed on you know this yeah. uh i don't know this genius let's say um from from a genius you know like it's i I didn't want to use the word master that's why i said genius i mean
1: everyone has their own word and what it means to them you know to me when i look back on it i didn't realize in the time of course but i look back on it i realize what he was imparting to me was experience and he had lived in los angeles for a while he had a band called the fence and he had been around people like jacko and you know hung out with him and jeff berlin and like all those guys in the 80s you know late 80s um in in la he had decided that america wasn't for him and he moved back to the uk but then he became like number one studio guy and with like eric clapton and seal and just the list of the list of things he did he played on headless cross for christ's sake the black sabbath record because the bass player was getting married that week you know and he's like every day during the day in the studio recording a black sabbath album and every night of that week he was at ronnie scott's doing a jazz gig you know (laughs) like the kind of range of the guy and and talking about his first sessions and walking into abbey road with the orchestra you know and being a rock guy before that and like you know Rock session is at 12, you show up at 1, you record at 3. You know, you go to Abbey Road with an orchestra, the session is at 10.30, you're there at 10, the session starts at 10.30 and ends at 11.30. He shows up and walks in with his bass in the gig bag, 10.45 a.m., walking through the orchestra to the back of the room, like, everyone looking at him, and he's like, what the fuck is wrong with all these people? You know, like, just great moments of... of <laughs> You can't buy experience, right? We all know this. Mm-hmm. You just can't buy it. But when you are around someone who's had that much of it, it really sets you up for success when you end up in those situations yourself, you know?
0: In- incredibly fortunate, really. Oh.
1: And just like imagine that like even now I, I, I don't have the capacity to do that for someone now. If somebody came to a gig of mine on a Sunday and bought a bass on a Monday and called me on Tuesday, I'd probably have to say, well, good luck. you know. Like, I'm not like driving someone around to gigs and being able to mentor them. I don't have the mental capacity. So I, it's um, unbelievable that he managed to do that. You know? Yeah, I,
0: I, I do that kind of. Okay. Um, yeah. I mentor people. And uh, I just, yeah, I just make it, I just make it happen somehow, like, and, uh, you know, like, there's one, one thing that's special about this story also, is that you did actually make that call. You called Lawrence on the Tuesday. Sure. Sure. And there you go. I have a couple things that I, in my life that I, where I made a call and it led to something amazing. Like and then you know, just imagine we could do that like every day. <laughs> I know it's it doesn't work like that, but um I, I you know I, I know exactly what you're saying. I also have this, like I can't even call my doctor. I don't know, it just I hate the
1: telephone. <laughs> I hate the telephone, I really do. <laughs> and I I think I liked it more when it was just a telephone. Mm-hmm. You know. But I even, think then I, even,
0: even then I had the same problem. Like I, I didn't want to answer the telephone. Like when uh, you know, my brother or my parents were in the house and the phone was ringing, I never, I never picked it up.
1: <laughs> I mean, I'm i like that now. Like the doorbell, I never answer the door.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You could
1: be at my front door ringing the bell. I would never come to the door. Mm-hmm. It's like I just won't do it. Delivery is nothing. Like you have to drop the shit or leave it on my porch and go, drive away. And then I'll come out and get the delivery and bring it inside. But I'm not coming to the door for anyone. It's crazy. It's, it's a crazy thing. With the phone thing, like, and an, another example, amazing example, another fortunate moment in my life with that, with actually making the call was with Mike Stern. And before I'd moved to the US, I was working with a producer, American producer, arranger called Richard Niles, who lived in London for like 35 years. I got to work with him before he moved back. And... Um, he had been in Berkeley with Mike Stern and Pat, he was Pat Metheny's roommate and like he had written this guitar quartet that they had all played in. So he just knew all the cats from the early 70s. And I was talking, Mike Stern, Mike Stern, Mike Stern, Mike Stern, is he my hero. I was transcribing, he was like, M-m-m-m. he's like, okay, man, let's fucking call him, huh? You know, like, I was like, oh, we can't do that. He said, well, better than that, let's record some music. Let's record a little demo and send it to Mike in New York. I was like... Holy shit! All right, let's do it. You know, so he let me use his studio. He wrote this music. Ian Thomas played drums on it. He made this whole piece of music for just basses, like fifteen basses, all layered up. And we use fretless to create strings. It was a really creative little song. And we burn it on a CD and we sent it off to Mike. And then, like two months later, I went to Berkeley. I completely forgot about it. And a month after I got to the to the US the phone rang in my mom's house because we put my home phone number on it in London. Didn't have a U.S. number yet. And my mom picked up, hello? And, uh, hey, hey, is Yannick there, please? Hey, it's Mike Stern. And my mom's like, you know, because she had heard me transcribing Mike Stern for two years. She's like, no, he's in Boston now. Okay, you have his number? I want to check this cat out. (laughs) you know, and, and that was another like very, fortuitous like okay let's send the thing you know let's do this like let's make something happen and I didn't that was 97 I didn't end up we didn't end up like touring together until like 04 or 05 so it took a while but still it was like a now a kind of a adult lifelong relationship that came out of that one moment of like just doing it you know and even if only one in 10 of those things actually happens you know
0: that's incredible like it, most most really important uh, partnerships in my life came out of a chance meeting actually right. and and uh, and this is this is something that I keep telling like uh, people who ask me about it say so, like never ever you know try to sell yourself to somebody as a musician always as a human being always as a friend yeah. right and then they may want to find out, uh, right they will find out that you're a musician, and then they're gonna be interested in you,
1: but you know and yeah. I always say that you know the music business or the music industry is like five percent music and ninety five percent dealing with people. Mm. you have to deal with the human side of things fucking nineteen times more than you do the the music side of things, you know you
0: know, I got so extremely lucky with my gig um. Like Tony Levin has been on stages for almost sixty years, right? And so, like even if we play like a small uh, uh, mountain village in Sardinia uh, uh, on a tennis court, actually, uh, people will come. Like yeah. there will be there will be a hundred people or or yeah. more because it's Tony Levin because they've seen his face on a, on a uh slash hammer video or whatever it was or like the funk fingers or whatever and you know like whenever i'm on station because we really don't have to play anything that people ask for we can just do whatever we want and and so like i'm always like there like i'm so grateful i'm so grateful tony that i can be here and that your work you know your life uh, life's work has kind of like made it possible for me to be here to do what i love in front of an audience that you're bringing and uh yeah like yeah i just had to say that because like it's certainly it's certainly not not me who kind of like uh um, had the draw you know
1: (laughs) right right yeah i think that was i think that's a major hole in 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 kind of the old and maybe it's just an outdated model. Maybe it's an outdated framework but you, when you think way back even you think back to like Louis Armstrong going to play with King Oliver first in Chicago back in the late 20s early 30s before he became Louis Armstrong. You know like before he became the legend and this what a wonderful world and all that stuff that came later that everyone knows him for. He was a sideman and it, or he was on riverboats you know apprenticing and then you've got like The bebop thing, you know, it was almost like Miles was kind of apprenticing with Dizzy and Bird, but then Miles was the master to the well not thousands, but definitely hundreds of apprentices for five decades, almost. You know what I mean? Like the amount of sidemen and women that came out of Miles' band, Art Blakey and the Jazz Messengers. Now you kind of in the jazz world have Winter Marsalis with the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra to a certain extent, but it's a kind of an elite club that doesn't really change that much. I don't mean that in a negative sense. I just mean that's kind of the parameters of the situation now. But you don't have that long-term apprenticeship option, which matures into solo career. When we look at like Mike Stern, John Schofield, Bill Evans, Rick Margitza, Bob Berg, Dave Liebman, all of those people that came from the Miles Band, they all had pretty Kick ass at some point at least, solo careers. You know, some lasted longer than others, but we don't seem to have that anymore. We seem to have like it's almost like straight to video, you know, straight to DVD, straight to Instagram without any of the substance being formulated or learned, you know, by the master musician bringing that audience to you like to really have that experience to see look from the back even you know as a bass player like just to like look at what's going on the way mike stern brings an audience i would say like mike stern and randy brecker are kind of my tony levins for you you know what yeah. i mean like they afford the opportunity to go on stage on like tiny clubs at the 55 bar and look in the like see the colors of people's eyes they're so close to the band or be on a big stage in front of ten thousand people in brazil or something on some huge festival and and see how he works a crowd and see why they come to see him mm-hmm. see what that human connection is and it's you can't avoid it it becomes a part of you when you are around it so much mm-hmm. and now now you're like some 20 year old kid like with the fucking <laughs> like what the fuck is that you know like i can hear good music from bad music i'm just talking about where's your attitude and where's your connection with the audience and where's your where's your heritage like where's the depth in your time and your sound and your emotional content and your storytelling ability now you know, there, there's,
0: as you said earlier, there's always a little bit of a risk to sound like an old man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, however, I, you know, like these, these kinds of concerns um, that older men have, you simply can't, you can't see it when you're younger. So, and that's why I think that these like really uh, serious concerns that I have about younger people where, I, where I'm wondering, like how can they ever focus on anything? Right, like with all these these distractions, and then these role models that kind of like um, where where you you have you'll you'll have a hard time uh, telling a fantasy from reality, right? Oh, it's, impossible. It's, it's 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 kind of it's really horrible, and I um I don't know. So I think I think we need to. I think it's actually it's actually okay to point this stuff out, and we don't, don't need know. to feel old for that.
1: And if you, um, I dropped you a, an image in our Zoom chat. Yes, Zoom chat. Do You see this? Yes, yes. I'm opening it. You may or may not want to share this with your viewers, but no, at least I will not. You, <laughs> will not but you can read it, right? Yeah. Okay. So that is the current climate of the Twitch streaming platform. Yes. Right. Exactly. Imagine that. So for everyone, probably not about to see this image. It's bad. Let's just say it's bad. It's like you can't tell the difference between a porn, pornographic streaming site and what is meant to be an artist, gamer, music, creative streaming platform in Twitch, you know? And that is the framework we are dealing with right now. That is the sort of superficial pressure people are under. People going into immense amounts of financial ruin and debt to rent a private jet for the day to get that one Instagram photo that makes it look like they're taking a vacation to the Maldives on a private plane. You know? Well, it's- you could use you could use a green screen instead. <laughs> I do. When I yeah. do my photos in the Maldives, I use a green screen, people. <laughs> Eighty bucks way cheaper than a private jet rental on on the tarmac for the day but yeah it's crazy and of course that's the extreme end of the instagram influencer world i'm definitely not about to get into a bikini and jump on a plane but um that really the whole mentality i think crosses over into the music world and as a result we're looking at 15 to 60 second clips of complete fantasy like you said you can't tell the difference between reality and fantasy like It's like the old thing of like when Pro Tools came on the scene and it's like, oh, you can fix that in Pro Tools, right? Like you make a mistake and you just, oh, snip this one out of here and take the from the first verse, put it in the second verse, like making repairs. Like You can just do 800 takes of a piece of music and post the best one or the most edited one to your social media and make it look like you can actually do what you're professing to do. And it's utter bullshit. And that builds a narrative around you know art that i think is pretty unhealthy you know because it doesn't it's not art anymore it's very 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 produced because you're pandering to an ad revenue business model you know which yeah, is absolutely. which is a little disconcerting i mean the, the, the interesting
0: thing is that you sort of have the skill to look like you know what you're doing and to be flashy right so for me for example it is something that is i mean flashy just in the sense of that there is a visual aspect and obviously also sonic aspect of what you're doing that kind of like also works for the younger generation i find right you mean quality of the production no i'm just talking about your playing okay okay on your bass right so so there's something that also speaks to uh to an audience that really doesn't care if you can really play or if you're just a flashy player right so but like for example for me my problem which is a non problem okay i'm just saying non problem is that i have kind of like worked on honing that skill to play that one note in that amazing way right yeah. that people don't even see it anymore well some do but like yeah. say like that you know like don't don't understand that
1: i can play yeah for sure and and, and, that, I, and that is that is sort of sort of so uh, yeah Here's the other thing you know what people are listening to that one beautiful note on Yeah. <laughs> speaker yeah i know there's no know. air moving there there's no vibrato nuance ah there's the word sorry fuck i knew i was searching for this word there's no more nuance mm mm-hmm. mhm mm mhm like digitizing everything and, 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 and uh, microizing everything into a fifteen-second clip takes away new ones. You have to smash someone in the in the middle of the face to get their attention now, mm-hmm. and you have to do it like so hard. Like, and yesterday I posted a clip on Instagram, which is like, just fuck you.
0: Good it luck, is- to
1: do, yeah. Good luck trying to do this because like nobody can do this. You know, like one of those kind of clips where it's like, yeah, this took me six months to get this thing down. And I didn't do it for Instagram. I did it because I love Michael Brecker and I wanted to be able to articulate the way he articulates at 310 BPM playing double time. Like it's fucking insane. Or not double time, but playing eighth notes at 310 in that way, in that saxophonistic, intervallic, Coltrane school of playing. This is a personal goal. But when you put it on Instagram, it's definitely a fuck you because people are like, oh fuck. I, I don't have I don't have the six months that it takes me to just learn that one bar. You know.
0: But you know, there are other people who have spent like six years learning a specific uh, uh, picking technique to play oh. that one that one lick where you know like when and and this is the other side of kind of like having, just having time, right? Okay, like, okay, it's easy to play this. All I need is time to do it. And I'm not talking about what you did, but this this kind of shredder uh, thing where you can see, okay, all they do is they simply move the same shape. That's easy, yeah. but actually knowing which notes you're playing and choosing them sort of like, even like in the moment, right, yeah. like n- nobody understands that anymore.
1: Yeah, well, nobody understands improvisation. Period. I don't think on the whole. It's a big generalization, but yeah. what it, what is, hmm, what is build as the feature act is n- not actually what's happening in the show. You know, like, you know, being a jazz musician or. Be, yeah. Here, here's the thing. It's something I've talked about for years since the beginning actually that having chops and having technique is not playing fast right you just said it about actually n- making choices in the moment that are fluid and are honest and are a representation of the of what you're hearing and the story you're trying to tell this is not the shredder thing of just knowing the line that you work on for six years but it's advertised as this is improvisation and this is all those things that it isn't you know yes uh, and it's crazy because there are, we talk all this shit about how, man, get off my lawn, man. I'm a fucking old, man. We talk like this so much, but there are amazing musicians who are doing this kind of stuff. You know, the the latest Shy Maestro record. I don't know if you know Shy Maestro, the piano player. Ha 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 ha. Out of control, good. Like, I had to drive into the mountains and drive around and listen to this album like three times, fucking crying my eyes out. It's unbelievable music. Just like hit me in the stomach, like, boah. And he has an amazing trio. Now, he added Phil Dezak, a great trumpet player who played on my last record. He added Phil to, the, to, the, to make it a quartet. Unbelievable. Some of the things they're doing there are on a whole other level of, of, of operation, like something that even I, okay, I, I'm going to give myself some credit that I know what the fuck is going on, and I will say with as little ego as possible that even I am like, holy shit, how did they get to that, you know? the amount of time i spend concentrating and working on improvisation and being honest in the moment and i'm listening to music thinking holy shit it's fucking unbelievable so it's on some really intense level and you look at like uh, aaron parks and you know younger players like this like jazz musicians who are doing that but not seeing any recognition for it basically Mm-hmm. Compared to some twat on Instagram with millions of followers who can sh- unbelievably show up somewhere live and have that Tony Levin style audience show up <laughs> because they put fucking pretzels on their hi hat or some, sh- or they wore a funny mask or they wore wacky clothing or they shaved their head when they had dreadlocks last week. I don't know. They did some non music related thing to gain attention and all these people showed up. And then all these people believe that what they're doing is that real, in the moment, honest improvisational performance, you know? I'm not saying that everyone's goal is that. You know what I mean? And it's important to have the perspective and the context of it all. And if it's just like and there's 50,000 people that wanna hear, great, good, good for you. But it's when the lines get blurred that bother me. And it's such a small world as well. Like sort of everyone knows everyone in improvised music, basically, to a certain extent, especially in yes. jazz, whatever jazz is anymore. It's really easy for the lines to get blurred and for you to be like, well, oh, hang on a second, that's bullshit. And nobody calls bullshit anymore. Everyone's too afraid to be cancelled. You know, nobody wants to speak out. Nobody wants to get like... Um, kicked off their social media platform or, or whatever. everyone's kind of afraid. Where it used to be fearless, it is now completely fearful. it's like fear-driven creation, which is kind of sad.
0: It's, it's super sad and
1: that follows like American it, politics almost or just mainstream politics in general and, and media, like being fearful of something when really we have power. It, you know? The question is what,
0: what happens when the bubble bursts, you know? That sort of… Uh,
1: the bubble of fear?
0: Well the, the, well, the yes, and the bubble of uh, social media uh, careers and like, I don't know.
1: I hope it's inevitable. I would love to sit here with supreme confidence and say that it is inevitable that the bubble bursts. It's a big wave to slow down right now you know maybe it doesn't burst in my lifetime or maybe very at the very end of it but i also think there are other technologies arriving that you really think it's going to take that long you know what Uh, the 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 pandemic and the lockdown and the coronavirus has really like stopped progress on so many things that i don't have a sense of what's happening in the real world right now until i get back out there i agree action is you know Mm -hmm. so Let's see. let's see in a year's time from now, I think we're going to have a much better idea of like what people's tolerance level for bullshit is, you know, and is that still as high as it was 18 months ago? Because it was pretty fucking high 18 months ago. People just deal with all kinds of shit. Oh, let's, yeah, let's go to this gig. Oh, okay. And it's total shit. So let's, let's see what that is. Um, let's also see how many artists take some artistic responsibility moving forward and how important perhaps that becomes again i'm really looking forward to the private hire model of playing shows where you cut out the booking agent you cut out the venue you cut out all the middlemen and you just say okay i believe in my live show i think there are 250 people in this city that believe in it so fuck the venue i'm just going to hire this room put a sound system in it and tell people where to go you know you know know what's
0: um... I've already done something like that, which is the house, house concert. Brought. Right,
1: exactly. I've done a few of those.
0: And, and so like with, like say, maybe 30 people, you can make as much money as you would make with 200.
1: Well, That was what my last-minute world tour was a lot to do with in 2017 already, four years ago. I just said, if you get me the venue and the audience, I will commit to paying the travel And uh, maybe the accommodation depends what the deal is. And some concerts I played were like, uh, played a festival in Poland for like 500 people or something in a theater. And another was like 60 people in a house concert. Mm -hmm. Both gigs paid the same. Yes, yeah. (laughs) You know? And I was talking to Jojo about this uh, last week and he's working in with AI and like all this fucking crazy shit that he's working with now, like improvising and, you know, he's a mad scientist, always has been on like the cutting edge of that stuff with acoustic meeting digital, basically. Mm-hmm. And he was saying like, look, all I need are 250 curious people every night. That's mm-hmm. it is set is a little bigger it's a little more overhead whatever you know mine could be as well if I don't want to tour solo um but that's really all you need I could do it with 100 to 150 and really make some money that's the other thing I have to justify leaving home as well you know to go through the brutality that is traveling especially as there's nothing in America like I'll never tour in America it's so sort of totally fucking pointless Like, nobody is interested, unfortunately, you know, so far. Maybe that will change. Maybe that will be a really nice change because it will be easier to move around domestically. But mostly, I've resigned to the fact that I've got to go to Asia, I've got to go to South America, and, of course, predominantly, I have to go to Europe, Mm -hmm. you know. And Mm -hmm. once every year, once every other year, I can go to Australia and New Zealand maybe or take a South Africa or something on the schedule. But it's, you know, it's brutal. I'm sure you've traveled everywhere in the world with Tony, right? Like,
0: Yeah, almost almost everywhere.
1: So, you know, like... As great as the gig is, as um, awesome as Tony is, and that music, and the band, and the experience, and the audience coming, you know, there are some times where that 5 a.m. lobby call is like, fuck, I really want to be home, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really uh, curious how it will be for me to get back into that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, for, for Tony, it, it must have been totally brutal. He's been constantly traveling for 50 yeah. years.
1: Whole life, yeah. Yeah. And then I I tell you, some of the like more famous established musicians I've spoken to, friends of mine over the last year, were like, bro, greatest thing to ever happen to me. So I don't want to be morbid or sick, but like personally, I got a year off and I haven't had one in 20 years plus, you know. Mm. Like, yeah. For me, I'm not the gigging guy, I'm not the Tim LeFave who probably plays 150, 200 gigs a year with mm-hmm. all kinds of amazing different people I don't do that schedule anymore I stopped in 2010 that was the last mm-hmm. time I did like 300 shows in a year was mm-hmm. was 2010 but even last year I was like oh yeah that two weeks would have been awesome and I missed that gig and I really fuck I need to do 50 gigs minimum a year mm-hmm. and probably I'm going to be the 80 to 100 gig guy at some point again you know if I if I can you know we'll see we'll see
0: yeah you know um if you also feel like it let's talk again in uh in six months or so or sure. at Without the end point. of the year and let's see uh, how things have gone
1: and like, you're in my, are you in berlin
0: i'm in berlin yeah yeah cool. and well, I,
1: may, I may be there in uh in a few months
0: give me True. a call i mean i'm only going to be out of uh, town in august for uh for a camp like a summer camp in new york state cool so, but that will just be two weeks so
1: cool yeah i'm hoping maybe the end of july or something like that once travel gets okay i'm gonna do a few things maybe visit benny up in hamburg and there's also this guy heinbach you know this guy yeah yeah. yeah yeah i would love that's another call i would love to make and be like yo let's if you have two hours or one hour of your time just hit record and let's see what happens you know like
0: do it do it. Yeah. Call him. Send him an email. It's easier.
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> Man, I, I I have the sneaky suspicion we could probably talk all day. Um, yes. No. This well, is this
0: is this is enough for today. <laughs> enough enough for, for one sitting.
1: I gotta go take care of my wife and get on with the rest of the book project, which is yes. screaming for my attention. <laughs> Give her
0: my regards and all the best with the book. And uh, you're awesome.
1: Yeah, man, my pleasure, man. We'll we'll do it again for sure.
0: Take care. Huh? Just yes, yeah, thank you. Just just.